Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust can destroy and thieves can break in and steal. But instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. For where your treasures are, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, then your body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, then your whole body will be full of darkness. So then, if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will love the one and hate the other, or you will be devoted to the one and hate the, and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or your body or what you will wear. For isn't life worth more than food and your body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky, for they do not reap or sow or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any one of you add one moment to your life by worrying? Why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow, for they do not labor or spin thread. And yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendor was not adorned like one of these. For if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, then what more will he do with you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But instead, seek first the kingdom of heaven and of his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. Let me start this lesson by throwing some numbers at you, and I know numbers aren't exciting, uh, but these might startle you a bit, and you might even uh, wonder if they're real. The people have poured millions and millions of dollars into getting these numbers and understanding these numbers because their businesses all depend upon it. The average American is exposed to between 4,000 and 10,000 ads a day. That's a lot. You might wonder, you might think, well, I don't watch that much television. Oh, that's so much more than that. This includes those we hear through media, those we see through media, and firsthand. Firsthand would include billboards, bathrooms. I don't know about the ladies' bathroom. They don't let me in there, but in the guys, there are ads everywhere. You also have labels. You have signs. You have circulars. And there are the ads that we wear that advertise a, a designer or a store or a team or the like. And advertisers know that you can't absorb 4,000 to 10,000 ads a day. That's not the point. The point is to flood you with so many that enough can get through your screen. Psychologists are, uh, are hired, psychiatrists are hired, sociologists are hired, all of these work together, and they've determined a pretty solid number that out of 10,000 ads, 100 get through every day. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of space taken up in our heads. And these are just the ads on that day. Jesus warns us in this passage about our eyes, where they go. We are humans, we are omnivores, and we are predators. Therefore, our eyes are up front. If we are prey, most prey will have their eyes to the side a lot more than ours because they got to look out more than us. They're looking out for us, basically, is what it is. But our eyes are front, and this is where we're going. What you put your eyes on is where you end up. What you put your eyes on is where you will end up eventually. So Jesus warns us about our eyes. 
if they are constantly taken here and there, our lives will become aimless. We will become hostage to the last voice or the loudest voice or the brightest, shiniest object that caught our attention. I'm, I'm going to let their reading be the scripture and I'll move on since um, I got up 20 minutes ago according to schedule. Anyway, I'm, I'm moving right ahead. I'll, we'll just do five collections and I'll be, we'll be done. Is that good? No, all right, let's move on. Let's move. <clears throat> when we come to worship on Sunday morning, we come into this beautiful building, a classic building surrounded by people we love. These are Christian people. They're filled with song and story. Sometimes it's hard to keep our eyes on Jesus, even here. Sometimes phones are pulled out during family prayer time, and they're not all reading scripture. Sometimes they're pulled out during the sermon. Sometimes it's hard whenever the world has designed an addiction and then sells it to you. It's hard to put it away to worship. And here's the bad news, though. Satan doesn't need you to focus on him for him to win. Jesus needs you to focus on him for him to win and for you to win. All that's required for Jesus and you to lose is that you not focus on Jesus, that you put your eyes somewhere else. If your eyes are distracted, you don't even have to believe in the devil for the devil to win. All he has to do is distract you. In Matthew 6, verses 19 through 34, Jesus goes on a concentrated run with one subject. He doesn't do that in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Really, there are overall themes, but just with an overt theme, like he does with this one. The reason is, money shows where our eyes are. Money shows where our attention is. When we get, whenever that ad, one of those 100 that gets through a day, hits us, our eyes then lead us to the product. Jesus spent this longer sustained portion of his sermon on money because the way we use money shows where our hearts are. Now, I don't like talking about money. I don't know how to make money. Uh, it's, it's not one of my gifts. If you would like to make money, it's actually quite simple. Whatever I do, don't do that. <laughs> if I'm buying petrol, that, that's guys. For those of you, um, if I'm buying petrol, don't. Tomorrow it'll be cheaper. That's just easy done. I don't know much, and I don't preach much on, on giving. In fact, I'd even challenge you to go back over and look over the last three and a half, nearly four years here, try to find a sermon on it. I had a man, uh, not one of our congregation, was really upset about that. And he says, why don't you need to preach more on giving? I said, no, I think the more we preach on Christ, everything else falls into place. And so, I don't talk much about it. Jesus does here, though, because he knew we need the reminder. But I want to bring up something here, and this is kind of important to me. I want to make sure that we do not fall into some sort of false spirituality based upon inflicting pain upon ourselves. We've all, and if you haven't, good for you, but we've all seen pictures of people in some religious rites that whip themselves into a frenzy by literally whipping themselves and the blood will flow. And then there are those misguided, I know they love Jesus and they're, they're, they're given a lot more in one sense than I am, but the misguided folk that are crucified on Easter, you've seen them. They're, 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 they put nails through them and I'm going, no, Jesus died once for all. He's not impressed. That's not what he's asking. He's asking. 
But you know something? There are churches that are built around the concept of if it's fun, it's sin. And if it's nice, it's sin. No. Jesus isn't asking you to inflict pain upon yourselves. He's not saying, you know how to be holy? Have no pleasures, no extras, no toys, no fun. He wasn't that way. In fact, he said he got criticized because he was eating and drinking and going to parties. He said, people always criticize you. That's important to know, I guess. Rules restricting your joy come from the world. We will look at this one, if we can put that one up in Colossians 2. Since you, because this is, there's a, a church used this once in a way, oh my goodness, I'll tell you just briefly. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, your eyes aren't on Satan, your eyes aren't on the world. Why? As though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teaching. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in in restraining sensual indulgence. What's he saying? Oh, by the way, that church was writing an article uh, against celebrating a holiday. I won't name it. It doesn't matter. And they said, and as they went all through it, it says, and as the Bible says, do not taste, do not handle, do not touch. I went, no. It said that's the world's rules. Don't listen to that. Ripped it right out of context. But how many of us were raised in a do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? I can still remember being in a university once speaking to a group of atheists when one of them said, well, God's against sex. And I said, he's the guy that invented it. They'd never thought of that. And he could have made it awful, but he didn't. So there you are. And they had to, they had to scratch their heads and look at each other and you know, regroup. Uh, I even told them, there's a whole book in the Bible about it, Song of Solomon. And so I created new Bible readers that day. <laughs> Paul says, denying yourself to the extreme, we all need to deny ourselves some. But to the extreme is not what God's asking for. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 18, 19. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, he has a demon, the son of man, that's Jesus, came eating and drinking, and they said, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. That last phrase seems odd to us. It was an expression they used to mean, watch the fruit of the life through their life and see what works and what does not. Paul said very briefly, First uh, Timothy chapter 4, they forbid people to marry, order them to abstain from certain foods, which God, that'd be like donuts, which are God, they're holy. They're holy. <laughs> which God, I just thought of that, it's brilliant, make it a t-shirt. Uh, which, which God created to be received with thanksgiving. Thanks, obviously donuts. We're talking cake. By those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing's to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. God is not asking you to put yourself into the poorhouse. And he's not asking you to only eat uninteresting food. He's not asking you to have no pleasure. If I see you drive up, and we're doing a capital campaign, and you drive up in a really big fancy car, I'm not going to look at that and go, the church could have used that money because the church could have used the money for my golf clubs that don't work. 
and I bought them anyway. Like I said, do not do what I do. Buy the other clubs. You see, the point I'm trying to make is, it looks holy to say, I'm not worthy. I shall merely eat this unflavored yogurt. But that's not holy, or God would not have made censors on your tongue to tell you this is awful. <laughs> so we give. But have you noticed the elders here are not putting guilt trips on you? And I want to make sure the devil doesn't. I want you in this because this is your story. God doesn't want you on Sunday to go, okay. That's not, you know, think of a Christmas like that. You know, I got to give you something, so there you are. Not fun. Not fun at all. God doesn't want it to be that way. Your eyes will capture something. And watch what you're looking at. If you're looking at Jesus, you know, it's okay to enjoy a few things. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, I opened up the sermon by saying that Jesus uses hyperbole throughout this sermon. It's exaggeration to make a point, and he does the same thing here in chapter 6, verses 25 through 27. But some have taken this literally, and they become fatalist. Now, Scottish people are famous for being fatalist. That just means, you know, you can't change it. Everything's just, it's just going to be what it's going to be. In fact, I had a guy look at me, he goes, You're, are you a fatalist? And I said, no, but if I was, I couldn't do anything about it. That's fatalism. <laughs> That's fatalism. Or stoicism, where, you know, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward, as in the book of Job. The idea of, oh, you're born, you die, and then it gets worse. God's not asking you to do that. Have you ever known some people that have had just enough religion to be miserable? And they're horrible advertisements for Jesus. They really are. Jesus' people should be happy. Think of it. The best day you've ever had is not as good as the day that's coming. There was a beer commercial years ago. They, they always have the best commercials. Uh, they do. You know, they have the money for it, I guess. Uh, but it, was, uh, it doesn't get any better than this was the tagline. Do you remember that one? I kept thinking, for the Christian, it doesn't get any worse. We're onward and upward. So enjoy God's saying, notice when you're focused on the wrong things, focus on the right things. But he's not saying he can't smile along the way. Think of it this way. It's okay. What, what if you got a doctor call and the doctor said, we found something abnormal on the test. I need you. And you're saying, what? Uh, we really need to do this in person. So I need you to come in two weeks from Thursday why do they do that? You know, but they do that. Well, it's because they're not worried. Uh, they're thinking, new boat. And, but you, you're going, oh, no, it's okay to worry. Do not read Matthew 6 as to say, uh, do not be worried about tomorrow, that you can't be thinking, I wonder what's wrong. I wonder if I'm going to be okay. That's not it. It is whenever anything else becomes the obsession that pulls you off of Jesus. Whenever, for, for example, I have friends that are foodies. I didn't know what a foodie was, but then I met some. And I had one on my staff at one of my churches. We were never allowed to eat at a chain restaurant because he always had scoped one out, and we had to go find it. And when he talked about food and the like, now, there's no sin in that, none. 
unless that's such a big part of your life, there's no room for Jesus. And there are people like that, and you see them on TV, and they get their own show. If you enjoy that, that's great. Poor Cammie. I'm, it's hard, people don't believe this, but here it is. I've never in my life been hungry for a particular kind of food. I think it's because I was raised by missionaries, and therefore, I've had critter on a stick. Just put it out there. I don't care. But she still, after 38 years of marriage, wants to be nice. And she said, I'll give you option A or option B. And I'll just watch to see the one she shoves a little closer. And I'll go, that one? And then that usually works. But she knows, I really don't care. But there, what if you care? What if you really care? That's okay. There's a difference between liking to experience different foods and taking your eyes off Jesus. Or liking shoes or having to buy another house because your closets are too full to fill up, you know, this time. That's a problem. Where that problem is, you're going to have to decide that with God. Cammie and I used to have a rule. In fact, most of our church did where we were. And that is, if you've not worn it in six months, give it away. Don't let dust and rust be a witness against you. We have modified that rule. Because for a while we lived in Detroit, where the winters last more than six months, and we didn't want to give away our one summer outfit. Because summers are lovely in Michigan. They really are. Last year it was on a Tuesday. It was, oh. So, so we modified the rule. And now we live down here, and we still have a parka or two. But that's, you get the point, though, don't you? Don't let it rust. Don't let it be covered by, with dust. In case some of you are wondering, yeah, that applies to guitars as well. Since I moved here, I've given away or sold or somehow moved on more than half of them. The reason you don't know about it is because I don't run around going, I am now doing a good deed. I don't do that very often. As a preacher, don't have to. I usually get to use them as illustrations. Look at, look at John chapter 5. I'm sorry, James chapter 5, please. Now listen, you rich people. James was a little rough. I, I like to call him the cosmic dentist. You have to go to the dentist. It's good for you, but it might hurt. That's James. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that's coming on you. Your wealth is rotted. Maws have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. What that means is you had it, you stored it, you didn't use it. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Don't let rust be a witness. Don't let dust be a witness. So our eyes are to go to places where we will follow Jesus, but not go to places that will pull us off of him. Jesus refocuses us in that last bet in, Gen uh, in Matthew chapter 6, 31 through 34. He says, God knows that, did you see this? God knows that you need these things. It's okay to say need. I need a new shirt, or I need a new car, or I, it's fine to say, because these are needs. God knows their needs. There has been, for example, a war on caffeine that just amazes me. I've watched it and studied the psychology of this. There have been literally more than 1,000 studies on the effects of caffeine in the system. Not one of them has found a negative. And yet, if you listen to the media, you know, you got to watch your caffeine intake. No, you know, you can have too much of it, yeah. For, well, how about salt? 
for over 60 years, we told people, oh, you best keep that low, the salt. Don't put salt. And eggs and salt, well, why don't you just put a gun to your head? <laughs> and they finally came out last year and said, we've just done the first longitudinal study, that means many, many years, on salt, and sorry, <laughs> it was fine. And eggs are good for you. And then they duck back into their little warrens so that you can't find them because they know how to put the maize and they, you know, the rats and stuff. They know how to hide. The, the point being, we're, we're told to be terrified. When I was a boy, we couldn't take cold medication if it had alcohol in it because that might make us an alcoholic. You know, it might. There are some people who might have that genetic makeup. But watch out that you don't start making everything against the law and everything wrong, God didn't ask you to do that. We don't need to do that. Your focus, God says, take care of your needs, take care of your needs, but your focus should be on God. Your focus should be on the kingdom. Once there, he says, all this other stuff will come to you. He doesn't say, focus on Jesus. You don't need that, the, the fripperies and, and fancy stuff. You don't need that. He says, no, focus on God. That'll all sort out. So have you noticed that? We tend to go one to the other. I'm going to focus on God so much, I'm going to live in a cave and eat rocks. Don't do that. What use is that for Jesus? Or over here, not looking at Jesus, being a creature of the consumer culture. No. There's a middle place, a huge middle place. Jesus says, don't worry about these things. He even uses a, a phrase that disturbs me somewhat. He says, you know, how many of you can, by, by thinking... In one place, he says, can add years to your life. Another, he says, can add a cubit to your stature. I can tell you, thinking does not make you taller. I have tried. I have thunk very hard and been measured again. I am shrinking. There might be a negative effect, so I guess what I'm saying. We should expect that God will take care of us when we focus on the kingdom. And what you've heard today in the stories, what you've heard the last month or so, are not guilt trips for you to give, but rather excited stories about what happens when we focus on the kingdom first. Now, I have been known to say con controversial things before. Keep your shock, keep your shock under control. But I have been known to do that. Go and do it again. Oh, the commercials. I've been paying a lot of attention to commercials as I wrote this. Gold is just over $1,200 an ounce. Back in 2008, it was over $2,000 an ounce. And they were screaming, it's headed to $5,000 an ounce any moment now. You best buy it. So a lot of people bought it. Maybe you did. Now it's worth one-third less all these years later. So they stopped the commercials and apologized. No. They doubled down. Now silver, too. They'll even tell you silver is only worth a third of what it was at its high. You'd best buy it now because you want to invest in something dropping like a rock. They'll even tell you your silver and gold, that's the only thing valuable. Your money's not valuable. But if you send us your useless money, we'll let you have our gold. What sense does that make? <laughs> the whole point is to terrify you and get your eyes off of Jesus. How about emergency food storage? Had a man, the Y2K... You guys didn't live through that. God bless you. The Y2K thing, he was in our house, and he goes, oh, where, where do you have your emergency food? I said, we don't. 
He goes, what's going to happen when, you, when, you, when Y2K comes? I said, I have firearms. I know where you live. <laughs> that didn't comfort him. I'm not sure why. Some people refuse to be comforted. I've noticed that. People have asked me, should we store up people? If I stored up enough for Cammie and I to live six months, am I going to watch my neighbors starve? Am I, going to, am I going to shoot somebody for taking tomatoes out of a garden? No. So why panic about food? Let's just give it to God. Let's switch it up a bit. I'm, just, I'm not going to go way back in history. When Clinton was president, Christians wailed at actions, decisions, the sexual misconduct, and said this is worse than it's ever been. Then George Bush came, got us into a war that many didn't approve of, then wouldn't let you win it if you did approve of it. And everybody said, this is the worst it's ever been. He's an idiot. We are all going down the toilet right now, so we are. They didn't phrase it like that because they're not Irish, but um, that's what they meant. Then Obama was elected. And everybody was happy. No, no. There were Christians that were screaming, look what he's doing, look what he's doing. This is horrible. Then Trump was elected. Surprised us all. And there are people, there are people now saying, it's all over, it's all over. People, get your eyes where they belong. Put them on your king and walk forward. Don't panic. Fear is not an option. I've had people say, oh, I'm not afraid. I just want to take action. Really? Then love one another. There's your, there's your marching orders. And I know some of you are thinking, well, if you only knew what I knew, maybe. But you know what? I, I just want to know Jesus. Let me look at him. The world's going to do without me one of these days. It will never do without him. Let's stand. It would seem that between politics, entertainment, advertisements, fear of aging and sickness, fear of financial need, the world has been quite successful at pulling our eyes off of Jesus. No wonder then that he commanded us to look at our money and then look where our eyes are and where our hearts are. As a designer of our eyes and hearts, I think we should listen to him. So the admonition today is focus on Jesus. Drop your fear and fascination with other things or even shiny and dangerous other things, for they will all be discarded. They too shall pass, but the kingdom lasts forever. So sure, invest your, your money there, but first and foremost, Invest your heart in the kingdom, and all these things shall be added unto you. Amen, church?